are older, they cook stuff too, and they bring it over so I don't have to cook everything. So that's fun. <clears throat> but we had the, all the grandkids over and had a good time. Um, so what else is going on? Anything exciting? Football games? Tell a big one, the big one. <clears throat> Auburn didn't do it. Uh oh. Have you seen what Japan is doing in the stadium whenever they play in the World Cup? After they play, the fans whip out garbage bags and they clean up all the garbage in the stadium. And when the team leaves the, the locker room, the people over there say that the, the locker room is spotless. So they clean it all up before they, before they leave. I thought that was, that was neat. <clears throat> but it is kind of surprising that they, uh, that they lost. All right, so this morning we're going to look at Colossians and Philemon. And I was telling Steve earlier, it's really bothering me that that's not in order but they kind of go together, and Philemon's a very little book, so it, it just fits with Colossians, so, um, so we'll do it out of order, and those OCD among us will just have to get, rid of, get, get used to it, but it's bothering me. <laughs> Let's pray, and then we'll start. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, and Father, we thank you for this place that you've given us where we can come and worship you freely. Father, thank you for your word that you've given us that, uh, that shows us your heart, uh, shows us what you've done for us, and uh, shows us how we're to live. And so thank you for that. I pray that you would um, keep our eyes and our ears open this morning as we look into your word and, uh, and hear what you would have to tell us. Pray, pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so Colossians, uh, it's one of the prison epistles like we've been talking about the last couple times, um, the, the four prison epistles were written by Paul um, from prison, amazingly enough. Uh, and they're Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So uh, most of them were, were written somewhere around the year 60. So kind of keep that in mind whenever we're looking at some of the things that, uh, excuse me just a minute. making noise, um, written around the year 60, so about what year did, did Christ get crucified? 33-ish, somewhere around there. <clears throat> um, so they're not that far removed from whenever, whenever Christ died. Um, is he getting out of hand over there? And of course, we start with a map, because I like maps. Uh, so what's different about Colossians, do you think, as far as where Colossae is located? Well, first, let's find it. There's our aardvark. <laughs> I do this because I don't have a pointer. So uh, it's much worse. there's Colossae. So what, um, what's different about Colossae than, say, Ephesus? I mean, there's a lot of things different, but in, in regards to the book itself, 
This would be off the beaten path. Off the beaten path, yes. One thing I thought was interesting as you prepped for this is that Paul never went there. That's it. Paul didn't Paul didn't establish the church in Colossae. Um, there are some commentators who think that Paul never went to Colossae, and there's some that think that he kind of passed through on one of his missionary journeys on the way back. Um, but it's, his ministry there is not really, there's not really a lot that says that he, uh, that he actually ministered there. Um, so they knew him. I mean, they knew of him, but they didn't necessarily know him personally. Um, so there was a, a minister named Epaphras who was their pastor, and the guess is that he met Paul at Ephesus when Paul was preaching there, and then took, and I don't know if you can see the little, no, it's not coming up on there. Ephesus is a little bit to the left of Colossae. That's about 100 miles. Um, so the, the thinking is that he was at Ephesus when Paul was preaching there, became converted, and he took the gospel back to that area, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, that's called the Lycus Valley. Um, so it, the thinking is that he took the gospel back to that area. So at some point, those three churches gathered together, and they sent Epaphras to, um, to Paul when he was in prison to uh, help him out and to um, and be a co-minister and, and, and encourage him. So the, the letter to the, to the Colossian church was written to encourage the Colossians, and it was also written to combat some heresies that were starting to creep into the, uh, into the picture. So a couple things to remember, or one of the main things to remember is most, if not all the converts from, in Colossae were from a pagan background. So they didn't have the same background as, as a, a lot of the people had. So um, one of the big problems is that it, um, one of the big heresies that, that was creeping in was that Jesus was not enough. You had to do Jesus plus X in order to be on the good side. So does that sound familiar? Do we have any of that going on in our culture today or our, our area? Anybody think of any specifics? Yeah, and, and that's the way it, it, it seems like it always boils down to Jesus plus works. So what do I have to do? Because we can't just rely on him, right? I mean, it's not like, and well, we'll get into that more in a minute. But um, I had a Mormon friend years ago, and, and he was trying to convict or con, um, convert me to Mormonism, and I was trying to share the true gospel with him, which I did, and he did. Um, his didn't work. I don't know if mine did or not. Um, so, and, and it came down to this because I, I said something about grace because I'm saved by grace. Well, he said, well, so am I. And I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like, you know, what you've been telling me and the, the few things that I know about, um, Mormon theology. And he goes, well, it works like this. I believe that you're supposed to be doing everything that you can do. So being a good person tithing, going on your two-year missionary thing, um, 
sharing the gospel with people like me. I, th I believe you're supposed to do all of these things that you're supposed to do, and then that little bit that's left over, that's grace. Because God gives you that grace to put you over the finish line and, and move you into heaven. And in my mind, especially considering Ephesians when it, that we just looked at a, a couple weeks ago, Ephesians says you're dead in your trespasses. So what am I able to do? I can't move myself any closer to the finish line than, than being dead in my sins and my trespasses. And it's, it's God's grace, only God's grace, all God's grace that, that, um, that moves us. So one of the big things about Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. And this passage, um, and I'm sorry, I forgot to write down the reference. I believe it's from 115-ish. So there's a lot of parallels between these, these two little sections, and they're, they're right after one another, but if you look at them beside each other, can somebody read the, the in, in creation part? Okay, we'll blame it on that. <laughs> I just want to tell you, though, whenever I first started needing reading glasses, that's what I blamed it on, too, was the light. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm, I'm just giving her a hard time. Yeah, it is. I can even see glare from, from here. <clears throat> so it, it talks about who he is. He is the image of the invisible God. So... Uh-oh. Now we're, now we're going get, to uh, get serious here. Um, so he's the image of the, of the invisible God. Now let me go ahead and read the, the end redemption part. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that's, that's an amazing passage, if you think about it, um, of the role of Christ. Uh, and think back just a, a couple minutes whenever I was telling you that this is only 20 or 30 years from when Christ was crucified. One of the um, criticisms that, that some people um, give uh, to, the, to the Christian church was that, that we kind of invented the fact that Christ is, is God, that we made that up, that, that the Bible doesn't really teach that. Well, here is some teaching that was very early in the, in the church history, and that's what it says. I mean, how can you come to any other conclusion if he, if by him, by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth, and 
they were created for him and by him. All things <clears throat> hold together in him. So parallel that with, with his work in our redemption. So he is the image of the invisible God. He is the head of the body, which is the church. <clears throat> He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn of all creation. <clears throat> in him, excuse me, in him um, all things hold together, and in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then it talks about the, uh, his dominion being on earth and also in, in heaven. So Christ is a unique, a unique um, being, and um, this shows that there is no other thing that we need. I mean, we've, we've got Christ. We've got all we need in Christ. There is no works that we need to add to that. Um, the commentator that I was reading says, it pictures a Christ who holds in his almighty hand and embraces with his loving heart both the realm of creation and that of redemption. He who is the firstborn of all creation is also the firstborn from the dead. He who died on the cross knows by name the most distant star. He not only knows it, but guides it. Still better, he controls it in such a manner that it will serve the interests of his people. So what can't Christ do? Because he's he over it all. And that same God is over our redemption. That same God, that same Christ, died for my sin. And you know, we can make it make it personal. It, he died for what I did. And uh, so that just puts puts that kind of in perspective for us. So the, the temptation, though, is because we're humans and we want to do things on our own, the temptation is, okay, well, that's great, but I'm still struggling. Um, you know, and, and Paul says himself, whenever uh, he was writing to the Romans, he said, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and I keep not doing the things I do want to do. So the false teachers come along and say, well, we can help you with that. <clears throat> Again, from the commentator, there's a distinct possibility that in this connection they made use of the word fullness as if to say, because you'll notice that, that the word fullness was used several times in there, Christ will not give you fullness of knowledge, holiness, power, joy, etc. Therefore, in order to attain such fullness, in addition to believing in Christ, you must also follow our rules and our regulations. If you do this, you'll conquer and will attain to maturity, to ultimate happiness and salvation. So does that make sense that if you'll only do X, then, then you're going to have it all? <clears throat> and the other thing it reminds me of is, well, I'll, I'll ask you to see if anybody else gets that same reminder, um, where he says, you know, yes, this is true, but Christ is not going to give you the full story. Christ is only going to give you part of the story. You've got to do X, Y, and Z before you get the full story. Does that remind you of any serpent you may have heard of in the past? In the, in the Garden of Eden, you know, what, what does the serpent say? Well, but did God really say this? Well, God said that, but that's not what he meant. He just didn't want you to know, you know, what, what he knows. So 
Um, there's always that, that extra that we think we're going to have to have. And uh, anybody know what FOMO means? F-O-M-O, -O, FOMO? Fear of, missing Fear of missing out. I think it's probably universal. Uh, there's something out there that I don't know yet that I want. I just don't know about it yet, but I need. So I'm going to go chasing down all these little rabbit holes until I find all these things, because if I don't, I'll miss out on it. What makes us make bad decisions? So even though we have all the information that we need, even though we have the best that there is in Christ, we're going to chase these little rabbit holes trying to find the rest that we're missing out on. So I know this is a long passage, and I'm sorry, but I couldn't find any place in here to cut. So if someone would read that, I'd appreciate it. And that's an amazing passage, and you would, you would do really well to spend some time meditating on all the things that that, that goes into, because we're not going to have time to go into all that, and I'm probably not the one to, to do it anyway. But did you catch that, that in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily? What can I add to that? I mean, we've got God, who is everything eternal. What, what can I add to that? And Paul says, I've been filled in him. What more do I need? What ritual, what ritual is going to make me more godly? What are these ceremonies that he's talking about? You know, earlier he's talking about ceremonies and rites and rituals. What ritual is there that's going to make me um, more godly? Circumcision? Well, that's already been done. God circumcised my heart. So, what about the, the debts that I owe because of the sin that I continually commit still? Well, that's already paid, paid in full. Um, and as he said here, it's nailed to the cross. One thing that I kind of thought was interesting is that it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So thinking back to the stories of of what happened surrounding Jesus' crucifixion. And if you look at it just from an earthly perspective, were the rulers and the authorities put to shame? Just looking at it from, from this side of the, 
the picture. Because Jesus is the one that's up there on the cross. So just from an earthly perspective, he, he was the one that was put to shame. But according to, to what it says here, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So um, when, he rose from the when he rose from the dead, yeah, they knew. They knew that they made the difference. He, he was playing on a different playing field <laughs> than what they were playing. And, you know, one of the expressions of our day is, you know, he was playing chess and they were playing checkers. Um, but he, he won, uh, and that, that is clear from Scripture. And the point, or one of the points that Paul's making here is, what more do you, do you need to add to that? None of that stuff is going to help add to what, what Christ did on the cross. <clears throat> so, in light of that, what are we supposed to do? Well, one thing is we're supposed to put things off. We're, we're to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So it sounds kind of like Pastor Joel's series on, on the Ten Commandments. We, we're supposed to put away all those things. Um, but it's also a reminder of who you are. It's a reminder of where you came from. Um, you can't get too puffed up because um, in these you two once walked when you were living in them. But that was then. That's what we're to, to put off. What are we to put on? Can somebody read that? So, can you imagine living in a, in a community where that type thing prevails in everybody? I mean, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Um, sounds kind of like a Coke commercial, but <laughs> for, for those of us, us old enough to, to remember those uh, Coke commercials they have. But, but we know that, that the reality of Christ can make that a reality, and will make that a reality in our in our experience, um, because in heaven, that's what what we're going to be what we're going to be living at living in, um, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you and which you indeed you were called in one body, 
and be thankful. So what are we, um, what are we supposed to, well, that's getting ahead, sorry. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul is laying out for us how we're supposed to interact with one another. And he's showing us, because all these things are true about Christ, Number one, you don't have to worry because all these things are true about Christ. And if you have Christ, you have everything that you need. Um, and in light of those things, how are we supposed to act around one another? How are we supposed to treat one another? Um, and so if we, we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual song. Um, and he goes on to tell specifics about wives and husbands, uh, fathers and children, servants and masters. So if my personal interactions are, are governed by the thought that everything that I do is in the name of the Lord Jesus, would it change how I act? I think so. Um, and if you want to be really convicted, think back about yesterday or the day before or whatever day and, and ask yourself that question. Were your interactions with other people governed by, the, um, by doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Um, and one of the things that kind of brought this kind of truth home to my heart was years ago when I think it was one of Paul Tripp's books, we were teaching in Sunday school, and, and uh, he talks about um, a lot of the times what, when we're angry, it's, it's idolatry. And I never really had that thought so much before, before that. But if I'm angry at Diane for whatever reason, that's idolatry against God because, well, you gave me this woman in my life, you know, and that kind of stuff, like Adam says in, in the garden. Or my kids, well, these are the kids that you gave me. So, you know, and so a lot of times when we're angry, it's because we're not getting what we want. We're not getting, uh, and, and, you know, we're being selfish and, and we're being idolatrous because it's, it's almost like, you know, I'm my own God rather than God being God. Yep. I think anger is a great, it's a great moment for reflection. Yeah. And I think even not just like saying automatically, you know, okay, God, this is clearly sin, but asking what am I, why am I angry? Yeah. What's the thing I'm not getting here? And that has been really helpful to me revealing all kinds of selfishness and things. But it's helpful because then you realize, wow, this is really important to me. Why is it so important yeah. to me? Yeah. You know, and it's it's it, it, God can use that to root out things that have become way too important. Yeah, that's that's a good thought. Um, yeah. I think also verses 15, 16, and 17 all bring up being thankful. Mm -hmm. And when you're thankful, you're at once recognizing that there's something from outside of you that's given to you. And so it kind of puts yourself in perspective that you're not the top. Right. <laughs> and then it also makes you aware of, oh, I really, there are things I need to be thankful for, whatever, whatever is irritating me, and it just kind of changes your whole right. perspective. Right, yeah, I, I didn't notice that, that's good. That's um, and, and yeah, we, do, we need to live like the, I think the last sentence of the 
the previous slide was be thankful. And so that, that definitely helps in that same way. Um, because if we view things as being gifts from God, then we're going to be more, um, it gives us a better perspective. Right. You know, nebulous, and it's like, what exactly is that? But this is a really practical way to think about that, too. Yeah. And what's one of the best ways to meditate on Scripture? You. He knows. He knows who I'm, I'm pointing oh, yeah, yeah. to. Yes, but you're the, the vocal spokesperson. <laughs> I had this friend in seminary. He was like a commercial tuna fisherman, like on the summers to make money. And I, I think he had the whole Bible memorized. And you would talk to him, Man. and he would just like look up. And like, it was like he was scrolling. You know? And then he would like just start quoting. And you're just like, wow. This is so awesome. <laughs> <clears throat> so then we go to uh, start start closing it out. Can someone read that? Because I don't want to read the names. So Paul has um, actually quite a few people there with him. Um, if you read through that, um, the last chapter, um, Tychicus was, or however you pronounce that, is, was a trusted companion of Paul, and uh, he could fill in a lot of the blanks for the Colossians as to how things were going. Because, you know, this is a, a pretty short letter, and whenever he gets back to them with this letter, he's going to be able to kind of fill in more details. Um, and he probably carried this letter uh, back to the Colossians as well as uh, Ephesians and Philemon. So he was probably the messenger that, that left Paul when he was in prison and, and carried this back. Now, the other one, Onesimus, remember that name because we're going to talk about it more in a few minutes. But what does it say to you? And I think this is really neat, especially considering Philemon. Our faithful and beloved brother who was one of you. So remember that. Keep that in mind. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. They will tell you everything, and, and that also, it, the way he phrases this, that also indicates that he, he has a lot of faith and a lot of trust in, in Onesimus as well. So Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. I'm sorry. Paul, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Why do you think Paul said, remember my chains? He wants them to pray for him. Yeah. He's in a hard place. 
he's in a he's in a bad spot. Yeah, even though you know, Philippians is a very joyful letter and he made the most of it, it's still a reality that he's in a really tough tough spot. And he's facing the death penalty. Right. Yeah, and a lot of uncertainty, which I guess some, in some ways is harder because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, remember my chains, but also, I, and I, I definitely agree with that, and maybe also that, that he's kind of pointing out, um, oh, I can't think of the way I want to phrase it, um, that he's, he's serving Christ in a very difficult way position. They, and it kind of implies that they may be required to serve Christ in a, in a difficult position. I think, I think that's, uh, that's also maybe what he's, what he's talking about. Um, and he says, I write this greeting with my own hand. A lot of his letters, he didn't actually physically write. He would dictate them to, to someone else. Um, Luke was one of the people that was with him uh, at this time. And um, there's, I think, Second Timothy, I believe Luke probably was the scribe for that one. But Luke may have been the one that actually wrote it, but, but Paul kind of signs it at the end, I guess, so they would know that it's, it's authentic and, uh, and it really came from him. Any thoughts on that before we move to Philemon for a few minutes? You've got no excuses. <laughs> You've got no excuses for not being about, about the ministry. So, yeah. So Philemon. Um, as I mentioned, it's, it's another one of the, uh, the prison epistles. And Paul, and it's, it's a very short book. It's only one, cha- one chapter. So Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Philemon was a leader in the church of Colossae, and that's why I went out of order against my OCDness and put it with, with this uh, book. So Philemon was one of the church leaders. So um, the name has escaped me. What was the minister that went to Paul? that we just talked about a few minutes ago? Epaphras. Um, so Philemon, it, it seems, was probably like second in command, and he was the one that, that led the, the church um, in the absence of, of the other guy. So he's a big guy. He's got in, uh, a, a lot of influence in, in the church. So... <laughs> I just kind of think this is a funny letter. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Philemon has been, been busy. He's been active. Uh, a lot of people know him. Um, he's got an impact in a lot of people's lives. 
Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Um, so Onesimus was a slave. He was Philemon's slave. He escaped, went to Rome, somehow fell in with Paul, and was converted to Christianity. And he had been serving with Paul in Rome. So Paul now wants him to go back to Philemon and make it right, whereas Paul would have preferred to keep him there because he was useful. Um, by the way, there's a wordplay here. Anesimus means useful. So he's saying that, well, he, his name is useful, but formerly he was useless to you. But now he's useful both to you and to me, so I'm sending him back. So Paul wanted um, Philemon to take him back and to forgive him and restore him, um, which is a very difficult thing to do. I mean, he, I don't know if Philemon had any other slaves, but if he had other ones, and then this one escaped and went to Rome and came back, now what are you going to do? You, you know, and so Philemon is, um, is in a, a tough spot here. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the, in the Lord. So this was a very positive way, a very favorable way of talking about Onesimus escaping. Uh, he was parted from you for a while. <laughs> so I, I like that. But... Paul is pointing out, well, maybe that was God's providence because God, through God's providence, Onesimus escaped and found Paul and was converted. So he's turned from being useless to being very useful, um, both to Philemon and to Paul and, by extension, to the, to the kingdom itself. So, you know, Paul's trying to, trying to soften him up a little bit to the whole, the whole situation here. And remember what Paul said about, about Onesimus in Colossians. He's a beloved brother. He's one of you. So he's not just a, not just a slave anymore. Um, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. No pressure. <laughs> no, really. I mean, just don't. Yeah, yeah I know he's, a, he's an escaped slave, blah, blah, blah. But it's, you know, God, God's providence was at work, so receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Still no pressure. <laughs> I'll repay anything that he stole whenever, he's, whenever he uh, left. But, by the way... You owe me even your own self, uh, because Paul had a hand in his, in his conversion. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So, okay, there's some pressure there. <laughs> so, you know, he, he is telling um, Philemon that it's really important for you to welcome him back in 
uh, welcome him back into the fellowship. And yes, he, he wronged you. I'll make it right. But we want you to be reconciled with him um, and welcome him back into your service. Then Paul goes on to say, and I didn't, didn't put it on there, but um, Paul goes on to say, um, and get my room ready because I'm going to come and visit you. <laughs> so, what do you think about Philemon? Yeah. I I had never put that together, but that uh, yeah that's that's neat. Um, kind of play on the on the fact that that Paul's in prison, and he's you know enslaved uh, in a, in a sense to the Romans, but definitely to Christ because Paul says over and over again that he's enslaved. Um, but yeah, that that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to kind of picture Paul as being, you know, kind of on a higher plane than we are, but uh, but he's not, and that's that's one of the neat things about uh, Scripture and the way it's written. Um, there's so many people in there and, and they're depicted warts and all. You know, they've got needs. They, I mean, he's cold and he wants his jacket. He's bored and he wants his books. Also, real quick, uh, in both of these letters, in Colossians and Philemon, in the final greetings, he mentions uh, Mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had written that one. I had written down, and I don't know what happened to it in in my notes. It probably got got gone somewhere. But that I think that thank you. That was uh, one of the neat things because you remember Mark, um, Paul, and um, Barnabas split because of Mark because Mark went on the first missionary journey, and he turned back and went home, and then uh, the second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, and Paul said, "No, I'm not taking him again," because. You know, he deserted this last time. And so um, turns out Barnabas and Mark are cousins. And so Barnabas stayed with Mark, and Paul took Silas on that missionary journey. But some, like, like Pastor Joel said, somewhere along the way, Mark was restored. And now, uh, in Colossians, Paul mentions that he's very useful to him. Um, and so he's, uh, he grew from someone that turned around a little early to someone who was very useful. And we, we also know that he hung out with Peter at some, some point during, the, during his life. 
Um, so yeah, he was right there in the middle of everything. And I think that's, that's the reason behind Philemon, is Onesimus, Philemon, I want you to reconcile with him because, you know, read all this stuff that I, because he got both the letters at the same time. So read this one now. <laughs> Going to be up to you to reconcile this. Um, got to think that would be a tough trip going back from Rome to back to Colossae with, uh, with that. Um, all right, let's wind it up. Um, Don, would you close us in prayer, please? Can you close us in prayer? That Don. <laughs> Clarence. Thank you, sir. So you uh, are happy? I am. It's been a great football.
It's, it's funny how that one game makes the difference. That's right. Yes or no, that's it. Yeah. Because in the past two years, they beat us twice, and he just didn't seem to. It was just over another game, and he won another game. This ain't another game. It's time to Not to everybody else. Yeah. I hear 